is correct. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Moments of Truth, the show about my favorite moments from my favorite things. I'm Bill Coffin, and today we'll be discussing one of the most beloved, successful, and influential stories of all time, a fantasy epic that has captured the hearts and minds of wizards and muggles alike all over the world, Harry Potter. In 1990, English writer Joanne Rowling sat down to wait for a delayed train and was struck by the idea of a dark-haired boy who didn't know he was really a wizard. The words flowed from there, and in 1997, under the name J.K. Rowling, she published Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, or Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, as it was titled in the United States. It was the first in what would become a seven-book series that includes Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, and Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. After these, the world would never be the same. The Harry Potter novels are the best-selling book series in history, with over 500 million copies sold. If that were a country's population, it would be the world's third largest, after China and India. The eight-part movie adaptation that followed, Deathly Hallows got split into two movies, is the third highest grossing film series ever. It is a who's who of modern British film talent, and it has made household names of its stars Daniel Radcliffe, Emma Watson, and Rupert Grint. The Harry Potter franchise has sparked Broadway productions, video games, amusement parks, and endless merchandising. It's currently worth about $25 billion, which is higher than the gross domestic product of Iceland. It made Rowling the richest author in the world, who, even after giving away a sizable portion of her earnings to charity, remained wealthier than Queen Elizabeth II. Harry Potter is the greatest British cultural export since the Beatles. In 2003, four years before the book series even concluded, the word muggle entered the Oxford English Dictionary as, quote, a person who is not conversant with a particular activity or skill. In 2005, the magical sport of Quidditch became a real-life sport on U.S. college campuses and swiftly grew into an international phenomenon. Today, the Quidditch Premier League represents the sport among 17 elite teams from the United Kingdom, France, Belgium, the Netherlands, and Germany. And in 2012, Danny Boyle's opening ceremony to the London Olympics, an epic love letter to all things British, featured a dramatic appearance from Lord Voldemort, and Rowling herself read from J.M. Barrie's Peter Pan, spotlighting her as one of the greatest storytellers of all time, British or otherwise. Harry Potter has become so widely known, recognized, applauded, and enjoyed that it's almost impossible to find somebody who has not heard the story of the boy who lived from Little Whinging Surrey, whose parents were killed when he was just an infant by the dark wizard Voldemort, and how that boy would grow up to attend the Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry, where he would befriend the brilliant Hermione Granger and the steadfast Ronald Weasley. With them, Harry would navigate the many twists and turns of boarding school life with professors who ranged from friendly and supportive to cruel and incompetent. He would understand what it means to belong to the valiant House Gryffindor alongside his fellow students of loyal House Hufflepuff, intellectual House Ravenclaw, and ambitious House Slytherin. He would learn the intricacies of magic, often with great difficulty. He would witness firsthand the return of Lord Voldemort and the legion of evil that would rally to his banner. And most of all, he would learn to make his choice between doing the right thing and doing the easy thing as he sought to protect the wizarding world he had come to love and know so very, very much. Harry Potter is such an expansive series, it's almost impossible to easily categorize it. It's fantasy, it's young adult, it's mystery, thriller, horror, adventure, romance, it's coming of age, social commentary, and religious allegory. It's a British school story, 
It's the hero's journey. It's an epic warning against racism and tyranny. And it's about the power of love against the inevitability of death. It is so many things that anyone who engages it can find something in it that speaks to them. And often its audience finds that almost all of it speaks to them. This is such a great topic and I'm so excited to talk about it. So let's begin. With me today is representing House Ravenclaw, Chris Crenshaw. Wingardium Leviosa. Representing House Hufflepuff, Tom Hespos. I'd be in Hufflepuff, right? Y yeah, I'd be in Hufflepuff. Representing House Slytherin, Joe Face. <laughs> and representing House Gryffindor as she completes her sixth year at Hogwarts, my daughter and Harry Potter superfan, Fiona Coffin. Obviously, I had to be in Gryffindor. That's where all the best merch is. <laughs> Everybody, welcome, welcome. All right, so we're going to start off, Tom. We're going to we're going to kick things off with you and get into your moment of truth. It's it's a pretty cool one. It's wide ranging, and I think it's going to set us off on the right foot. So, Tom, take it away. I mean, but before I tell you about my moment of truth, I think I have to tell you the story about how I almost missed all of this. My own gatekeeping behavior almost kept me from being exposed to this. Rowling, I, I consider one of like the best storytellers ever. I was so floored by her ability to weave a lot of these different plot lines together and, and do it in a convincing way that made, you know, it made it feel as if, you know, unlike many of the other franchises from my childhood that sort of made it obvious at some point that somebody was just making it up as they go. I got it in my head that Rowling just knew what the story was going to be ahead of time and like was very meticulous about plotting it out. And she actually set herself up as like a big role model for me just in, in, in writing in general. And I, I swear I almost missed all of this and it was only my own stupidity. Like I was very much in the camp of, oh, you know, oh, this is a children's yes. book. Yeah, And, you know, I remember Scholastic actually coming to my company for a meeting, you know, they, they have a sales department, believe it or not. And, you know, they were just kind of taking us, a few of us at Underscore through Scholastic and some of their advertising opportunities. And they're introducing us to the company and they're talking about, well, you know, we published the, the Harry Potter franchise and, you know, by then it had not yet been completed. And I'm like, you know, I, I think this is wonderful. Um, I love how it's making kids read again. I thought that was fantastic about it. But I'm like, but you know what? It's a children's book. I see people reading them on the train and I'm kind of like, really? You're reading a children's book on the train? So this was my, you know, jerkish attitude toward the whole Harry Potter <laughs> thing. Well, you know, several weeks go by and we're a couple of days before the release of the last book in the series. And what arrives at the office but a bunch of plain brown packages from Scholastic. And I realized that morning what we have on our hands is like a, a, a one-day advanced copy of the last book in the series. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa, like they put us on the list with, you know, all the people, you know, the reviewers and like, all right, cool. You know, yeah. nice to work in an ad agency. This is what you saw. So I get this book and like, I'm on the train. I have a two and a half hour commute and I just, you know what, like I pick up the book and I start reading it and I read like the first chapter of the last book and I was instantly hooked by it. And I said, I am putting this down now and I'm going to go get the other six books in the series <laughs> and I am going to read those from start to finish. Yeah. And then I will get back to this. And that's exactly what I did. And I thank God that I did because it was just, it, it was such a terrific series. I mean, 
you know, it's on the special shelf. Uh, you guys, you know, you listeners don't have the video here, it. but it's you know, it's right above my head on <laughs> the, the special shelf, of shelf behind me. That's you know, the shelf that's reserved for you know books published by friends and things I've read to my children. So, you know, I end up joining you know, uh, uh, Tolkien and. Uh, you know, all, all those special series that I that I read to my kids and that mm -hmm. they absolutely loved it and think that I almost missed it because I had such a bad attitude about it at the beginning just floors me every time. I, 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 I'm so <laughs> glad you didn't, though, because your experience is not unique. I mean, there are a lot of people. I mean, this, this series had a struggle for a long time to get traction with people who were just like, this is the children's story. It has nothing of substance to it, you know, but it's <laughs> there's a reason why it speaks to everybody. You would think Star Wars would have taught them. Ah, you would think, right? I mean, I'll, and I'll tell you, Tom, I'd say, I, almost... I would like to think that one of those things would have taught me. And yeah, yeah. here I was being all judgmental about it. And, you know, and I had all this time. I, yeah. I could have read it on the train anytime yeah. I wanted to with the rest of the commuters who were doing the same thing. <laughs> so, so, so real quick, while we're on this topic, Fiona, I got to ask you, I mean, you grew up with this series. Did you ever have, especially as you... You know, got a little bit older. Did you ever have kind of that that push and pull of people going? You know what? I think I'm too old for Harry Potter. I'm too cool for it now. I'm gonna have to give it up. Yeah, I think, I think one of the moments that I really came to terms with that, I was in my freshman year honors English class, and we were we had to do a project where we had to like basically do a book review of a classic book. And my my friends and I, we were all really big into Harry Potter. And we tried to make this argument to our teacher that like it, it should be considered a classic. It's like extraordinarily important culturally. And we had this whole argument set forth for like why we should be allowed to review Harry Potter. And the teacher sat us down and she was like, it's for children. It is at a third grade reading level. There is no way I'm letting a bunch of honors freshman high school students sit down and like give the treatment that other kids in this class are giving to Shakespeare to <laughs> Harry Potter. And it's like basically put us in our place and we were like well fine we'll just go off and do some boring Shakespeare thing or whatever <laughs> and then Tremaine. I think from <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah I think I think from that point forward I had I had had it so drilled in my head that I was like adults think this is a children's thing mm -hmm. so if I'm ever going to be taken seriously in a world of adults I have to let go of it and like you know it has to have its place with children's things I like boxed it into that little area of my mind with like you know that can go with all my other barbies and poly pockets and all my other children's things and it can't come with me in life i got over that pretty swiftly but yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah so gatekeeping it's a dangerous drug man it's a dangerous drug well tom I, i'm proud to say that i was not particularly interested in Harry Potter when it came out. The extraordinary reception of the first book was so enormous that when it came out in paperback, I, I was traveling through Pittsburgh International Airport and passed a bookstore and got it immediately. So I think it was like a, a first printing or second printing paperback. And I was like, holy smokes. Oh my God, I love this. <laughs> yeah. I'm not a child. It's just beautiful. <laughs> since, we're, since we're doing origin stories real quick, I mean, I, I think it was 2000, 2001. My first wife and my brother had been reading it and talking about it. And I was like, what? It, same thing. This is a kid's book. What are you guys doing? What are you guys talking about? She was away at a conference. I was alone for a weekend. And I was like, I'm going to see what all the fuss is about when no one can see me reading it. Uh, and so I picked up the first one. And I remember very vividly reading about Dudley thinking like, is he the hero of this story? Like, who is this kid? Because they spent the, the beginning, there's so much time talking about yeah. Dudley and the Dursleys. And I'm like, okay. About two, three chapters in, I was like, huh. And that very night I read 
the whole book and the next day I read the second one and the next night I read the third one and then that was all there was. There wasn't any more. Yeah. Whereas 30 hours before I'd been poo-pooing it, now I'm waiting in line for Goblet of Fire with everybody else. And um, it, it has that kind of uh, magnetic power to, to take somebody from a, a naysayer or a skeptic into a, a, a diehard Potterhead in no time at all. And this is at a time when yeah. I was picking up, I was reading the first Martin book about the same time, and you couldn't get two more <laughs> different no. approaches to, to fantasy than... With with the biggest difference being that Rowling actually finished Well, that's series. just it. And I, we can talk ah. about that. Um, because... Wow. And, and you know what's on? That well, we can also talk about the fact that... That's fired. <laughs> the similarities are that the first three to four books are brilliant. And then, you know, we can talk uh, more about what happens after that. But, but yeah, no, I mean, I, just like so many others... I don't need this to, I absolutely need this. And when the new yeah. books would come out, you'd read them overnight just so that no one would spoil it for me. And so I would know what happened. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. I didn't have an initial resistance to it. I just was a slow to get on the train. I think it was when um, Order of the Phoenix was coming out and my wife was finally like, look, here's a deal. You know, you have 24 hours of, <laughs> of, of grace and then I'm going to talk about it with my sister. And what you overhear is what you overhear. And if we spoil stuff, and we will, it's on you, okay? And I was, that was like my wake-up call. I'm like, okay, okay, fine. I, I'll do my homework. And so I just knuckled down, and I blasted through the first four books in time for the fifth one to arrive. And that was the one where I realized how big of a phenomenon it was because it, we got our copy at the house, and it came in a special – all we ordered was that. And it was in a special Amazon box that had Harry Potter printed on the outside of it and all that. I'm like, you know – they're moving this much product, they can actually have a special Amazon box for this thing. I'm like, who boy. <laughs> I remember we read it and it was like, you know, it was like the, you know, Allison's reading it and I'm waiting. I'm like, well, you're going to finish it or not? She's like, you know what? You got in the train late. Okay. You, you can, you can wait. And we're like, just kind of, you know, going back and forth. And it got to the point where when Half-Blood Prince came out, like everybody who was reading it got their own copy or like it's, it's additional, but we don't care. This is, this is, it has to be done. Same deal with Deathly Hallows. We all got our copies. And I remember- yep. They landed. I bought, two, I bought two hard copies the same day. <laughs> yeah, everybody's got their hard copy and just went off to their own little corner of their house and nobody spoke for like the whole day. It was just like, you're just, you're just reading and you're just like, you know. I remember that as a kid because Connor and I were just kind of sitting around. We were like, they're not I'm moving. Mom and dad. <laughs> we were like, are they going to eat lunch? What's happening? Exactly. <laughs> I could use a snack. <laughs> exactly. exactly you know. I started but, reading them and everything. All the books were already out. So I never had that moment of like reading and then having to to wait for the next one yeah. um and i also never got to have that like excitement anticipation of like waiting for the book to arrive or going to a bookstore at midnight to try and get the the newest book and there was like a whole generation of kids that age who had like just missed it but were still just as into the story when cursed child got released as a printed um book like the script basically and i think it was like 2017 um barnes and noble did like a midnight release of it and they had like this big party all night long. So like a whole bunch of kids my age went to Barnes and Noble all dressed up and um, and like just shopping around and doing everything what they wanted for like three or four hours before the book came out. They had set up this big wall in the middle of the store covered in paper and they had a bunch of markers and kids were invited to go and write on the wall like what Harry Potter That's meant cool. to them. And it was this whole wall of kids being like, I grew up with this story. Like I was, I was 11 when I picked up the first yeah. book. I got to go... Like I got to pretend I was going to school with these characters. I got to grow up with these characters. It was such a different experience to what you guys are talking about and like picking up this book and reading it and then waiting yeah. and like getting stuck in it. Yeah. 
you know, one of the things that I've always loved about your relationship with Harry Potter is that you discovered Harry Potter at the same age when I discovered Star Wars. We've talked about this a lot, where how, like, as you've grown up, it landed in the same way for you that Star Wars landed for me. Like, it's that foundational hero myth, and, like, you, you know, it helped shape you as a person. Like, the way Star Wars helped shape me as a person. I was so thrilled to see that, you know, I, I always wondered, like, well, maybe I'm just, like, that one in a century kind of, I, I just got lucky. I happened to land, you know, my, my age and this first movie lined up perfectly, and that never, ever happens. And I kind of saw it happen with you, even though, you you know you weren't growing up as the books came out, but it's like you discovered it right at the time. It was at the time you can take in the whole thing, and I remember it it landed like a meteor with you. It was just like hey, there's like there's there's pre Harry Potter Fiona and there's post Harry Potter Fiona, uh, <laughs> you know. But I just love that I got to see that. I love that that and I love that it happened. Mm-hmm. So. Tom, we still haven't gotten to your moment of truth. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. So anyway, <laughs> the origin stories are all, are all done. But it, well, you know what? One, every you know, my, my favorite cousin put a Facebook post out there once. He said he said that uh, Severus Snape might be the best character ever written. Found Possibly. It very hard to disagree. Found mm-hmm. it very hard to disagree. Anyway, we'll get back to that. But like, we'll get back to that. So Tom, your moment of truth. Yeah. Um, and th- this series, by the way, I think is just chock full of them. It was very difficult for me to pick something. But like, yeah. one thing that like just really stood out to me is just Ron's friendship and how good of a friend he is to Harry. And, you know, one of the things I love about, well, there, there are many things I love about their relationship. The first being that it's, it's, it's presented as a very realistic friendship. I mean, he is about as true a friend as you could be, but they have their tiffs. They have their, mm-hmm. you know, little fights over, oh, you know, you're spending too much time with that girl. And, you know, oh, you know, you didn't believe me when you know, I said I didn't put my name in the goblet of fire, all that <laughs> stuff. But like, yeah, it, it's, it's about, you know, the fidelity of that friendship is just, it's just so true. Like I, I, I love, I love that aspect of it. And like, it's, there's so many different things that prove it out. Starting with this little Ron Weasley, you know, meets the famous kid on the train to Hogwarts and like, doesn't have two nickels to rub together, but like, what's the first thing he does? He gives him like, gives Harry half his sandwich, you know, like, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Like, isn't that like the, the start to every like friendship that's, you know, starts in kindergarten that you've ever heard of? Like, it's just, it's so perfect. <laughs> starts with food. Yeah. Really the definition of friend, what it, friend means to me in particular has to do with somebody who will like really stick up for you and be there for you when Ron like essentially defends Harry when everybody else is breaking off their relationships with him. Everybody's trying to put him at a, at a distance when he's the order about of the Voldemort Phoenix. being back in the Order of the Phoenix. But no, there's Ron saying, you know, like, no, I believe him. And he puts a stake in the ground around their friendship. And I just, I love that aspect of it. It's just yeah. such a such a terrific thing it reminded me so many in so many ways of some of my best friends sticking up for me when like kids were picking on me and stuff like that when i was and it just these two are going to go the distance like they're they're going to be best buds forever and you know i, I just i love that about it it just it, it really resonated with me you see it again and again and again even in, in the very first book i mean he sacrifices himself during the game of wizards test right? yeah he, he, he's, he's he takes violence upon himself yeah. he does like ron is totally ride or die like he is he, he is. is he is so down with the program and then you know there's that terrific moment in, in chamber of secrets right where you know he what <laughs> well fiona always talks about ron in chamber of secrets right mm-hmm. yeah i think um right in the beginning of the movie in the book when harry's basically being starved and locked in his house by the dursleys 
and he's been cut off from his friends. So Ron hasn't heard from him at all, all summer. He's just known this kid for a year. And it's like, you know, on the whim of having not heard from my best friend, I'm going to steal my dad's flying car with my troublesome twin brothers and fly out to Surrey and see what's going on with my friend. And then discovers him with bars on his window and hardly eating. And is like, all right, plan B. We're going to rip the bars off the window and kidnap my best friend and his owl because that's what I have <laughs> to do for him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You only steal cars I don't know that I was plan B, though. They had the chain with the hook. I mean, that's I think that might have been plan A. The, um, I, I'm, I'm pretty confident the that, that, that the Weasley twins have a hook wherever they go. I mean, those guys are, oh, those guys are just always ready for trouble, man. <laughs> One of the things I love about the, the construction of the story is, you know, they talk about the big three, right? You've got Harry, Ron, and Hermione, and it's like, well, why does that happen? They're all outcasts for one reason or another, and they find each other, and they make their own tribe yeah. within this this larger, uh, larger, you know, Harry, for obvious reasons, Hermione's a muggle, Ron, who's poor, uh, and he wants to prove, he has this thirst to prove himself, and yet he's going to be second fiddle for the rest of his life. Yeah. And he manages to be okay with that. What a tremendously mature thing yeah. for, for a kid. To be. I, I want to extend that to the entire Weasley family. Oh, yeah. uh, the, the way that Fred and George are, I mean, they're right there in that car. You know, they, they give him the Marauders now. They do. While I they know. still need it. <laughs> I know. I mean, that is, that is that, a magnificent act of friendship. Heavy. Yes. They, they, they knew what he was going through. Yeah. And, and they, they stood up for it. They 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 said, "We got you, bro." Yeah, come on, yeah. man. I mean, they essentially gave him a home life. He has no yeah. home life, yeah. and and you know, like he he's got it. Summers, you know, he's basically got to go home, like back to the torture again. And like the the Weasleys finally put a yeah. stop to that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's such a great friendship. I've never quite figured out how you can have rich and poor wizards in in this world, but but it works because. The Weasleys are a family that really don't have two galleons to rub together, and yet they take in the extra expense of looking after Harry without even a moment's hesitation. Like, of course, you're with us. You know, you get, you know, Molly is going to knit a sweater for him. Like, right off the bat, he's got immediate full tenure yeah. <laughs> on Team Weasley, right? <laughs> that's, just how they, that's how they roll. And it's like, yeah, and, and Ron embodies that so, so, so faithfully. There's a moment in, um, in Goblet of Fire when, you know, he just starts feeling like this resentment for being basically Harry's, you know, Watson. It's hard to see that because you know their friendship is so true, but it's also you understand why Ron feels the way that he does. Over the course of the series, they ride that out, right? And like friendships have these moments, you know, where you have a you have a, a dip or you have a problem. It's like a, a real friendship can withstand that. And I think it was beautiful how that was in there. And you had this moment where Ron's like, you know, how come I can't be like, how come I can't be Ron and Harry for once? <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, I hear you, dude. I really do, you know. Well, but that's, it's interesting that, you know, we talk in, in this podcast about charisma not being a dump set. Loyalty is not a dump set. It is right? not. And, and, and Ron embodies that better than anyone else. And he does get his moment when he, when he wins the, the big Quidditch match later when that Harry can't go to. He gets his moment. Yeah. And I think that that kind of makes the rest of it okay, that he, like, he, he got to have a taste of it. So he, he got to be to the mountaintop and he's got that. And then he lands Hermione, and so like you know, oh, yeah, that, there, there's a moment. That's <laughs> Look, about as good as it I, gets. I, 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 I have trouble saying this with Fiona present, but I was really troubled in the story by the way that Hermione went from brilliant child to like one of the most beautiful women in the world. 
overnight <laughs> in these films. Imagine. I mean, she that, that, that was weird, yes. and I didn't. I don't know. Yeah, I, I didn't, yeah, I didn't she seemed to have no, no. Seriously, like Emma Watson seemed to have no awkward teen phase. She was just like <laughs> she was like a little child no. in the first two movies, and all of a sudden, you know. Bang! Wait a minute. Wait, like, <laughs> like, like you can't skip a step like that. I didn't have to. I, I couldn't. You know, like, come I on, man. No, that. no jumping in line, Emma. All, That's not cool. All, yeah. you know? Let's all just take this one brief moment to acknowledge the fact that there's a zero point zero one percent chance that Ron Weasley lands in that smoke show, <laughs> and that's okay. Shared trauma does that. That's true. <laughs> yeah, right. It's like speed. But here, yeah, like, exactly. You know, when you're talking about relationships, here's the thing, though. Ultimately. We see Ron get played off as like as comic relief and as you know, or as like he's the one who he's kind of you know fearful and sort of thing. But you know what? Ron always comes through. And, he is the one and, that will be faithful. He and is the one sol- that will be there. Yeah, and in a solid relationship, that you need somebody who's going to be there for you and who will be who will be true. And um and, and that and that really does that really does matter, you know. And 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 at the end of the day, Hermione's going to be lead sled dog in whatever relationship she's true. in. True. And so. <laughs> You know what I mean? To have a sidecar and, like Ron. And, and, and Ron's okay with that. Ron's okay. That, that's a Ron. Ron knows who hey, she is. He knows who up. he is. That's cool. He's got a that's PhD awesome. in sidekicking. He's all good with this. He's that like, is, he's that is a relationship. <laughs> At the end of the last movie, we get this glimpse of them, you know, I don't know, 15 yeah. years in the future. And Ron and Harry look like, you know, hair club for men advertisements <laughs> with the dad bods. And she hasn't changed. <laughs> yeah, she she just better. keeps getting more beautiful. Like, oh, of course, I'm Hermione Granger. Like, you know, <laughs> like she just ages like wine. It's fantastic. So we're going to move on to the next moment, which is going to be, um, we're going to hand this over to Joe. Joe, take it away. What's your moment of truth that, that you really like to talk about? Kind of explain what it what it means to you in the larger context of Harry Potter. Yeah, I think I think Hermione is a really unique uh, character really in all of, of of literature, certainly in fantasy. Um, you know, Harry, we've seen that before, and we've even seen the funny kind of goofy friend before. But now to round it out and give them this female friend who is brilliant, is talented, and yet is complex in her own right, and isn't afraid to stand up to them, isn't afraid to, she's an equal, mm-hmm. and them. not afraid to be complex, and, right? And and says what she means. She, the the Ron and Harry have a fluid relationship with the truth throughout this series with one another. And with uh, okay, group. fair. Hermione never fair. does. <laughs> Hermione never, ever does. She she is the most candid and insightful member of the trio. She's the one that has an emotional range of more than a teaspoon. Yeah. She is their their moral compass in a, in a lot of ways. I just, I just love that about her so much. And, and frankly, what I love most about her is that when I was 11 years old, I was the bookworm kind of let's charitably call it kid in husky jeans who was never going to be the star athlete was never going to win the game so what did I do I dove into the books I read as much as I could I studied as hard as I could and I would be the smartest guy in the room if I couldn't be anything else the reaction that she gets at school is oh my god this insufferable know-it-all she's got her hand in the air all the time but you know what she owns the living you know what out of that the entire time and never ever gives in to the pressure to be less than what she is And I respect that so much. And I, I hope, and I think it's true, that she's been a role model for girls, certainly to be assertive in school, but even for you know smart boys to continue to be smart. You never have to play dumb to be cool. Yeah. And, and I love that about Hermione. And she is this intellectual creature and she is the smartest one. She's the most talented witch. She saves their butt again and again and oh. again and again throughout the series by having foresight. Um, you know, by having done her homework. 
right where she cram- done, having done their homework right. when she crams all of the stuff in the in, she invents a bag of holding for God. Uh, but for me, the moment of truth in Prisoner of Azkaban, the ministry entrusts her with a device that could change human yeah. history. Like a <laughs> Super bad girl. idea. But apparently not. But yeah, not for it's her. Mind. No, 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 it's your mind. And, and we just rewatched the movie when Dumbledore leaves the room and he's like, you got it, cool, have fun. Right. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, okay. And, 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 and she puts the chain over and, and Harry tries to fiddle with it and she slaps his hand away like, no, 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 you can't handle this. Piece of <laughs> yeah. But, but they go out and there's Draco and Draco starts mouthing off because the hippogriff is going to get yeah. killed and Draco has ma- you know, managed to make that happen with his you know, leveraging his father. And, and Hermione always had it with this jerk. I mean, just, just had it. He's been calling her a mudblood. The kid's you know, dad, slimy dad, you know, talked down to her as like a 12-year-old in a bookstore. Yeah. And she is just, she, she's had it. And she takes her wand out and she's got the kid by the throat with the wand. And they're both like, it's not worth it. Oh my God, it's not worth it. And she's like, she's like okay, oh, turns on. Draco laughs just a little bit. <laughs> Like, ha, 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 look, you got small. She turns around and she gives him a muggle punch right to the middle of the eyes. <laughs> and like wizards with their wands are one thing, but this girl grew up as a muggle and probably got picked on and knows how to throw a punch. And she <laughs> she takes Draco. And I love that so much because you've got this intellectual bookworm who gets physical and runs counter to her character. And yet somehow it still continues to, she's still Hermione. It yeah. continues to fit perfectly in the character. And I, I just enjoy that so much as a grace note to the to the overall arc of the <laughs> as my son says her hands oh, are rated e for hard. everyone <laughs> so good so, <laughs> so 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 fiona i'm dying to to hear your thoughts about this because as a young woman what did hermione mean to you and how did it kind of really impact your your ability to see yourself in the story yes yeah, so i think I guess when I started reading the series i picked hermione and i was like that's that's the character that i am in this series and in life And I used to be, when I was little, I think either grandpa or mom started calling me Hermione when I was like three or four, because I would sit in, um, in Montessori and during nap time, I wouldn't nap. So they just started handing me books to read as a way to keep me quiet and let the other kids sleep. And so that became my nickname before I even like started reading the series. And then I started reading it and I was like, oh, okay, no, this is cool. I'm okay with this one. Um, (laughs) And then like my little, yeah. And then like my little gifted kid brain was like, yeah, okay, I can latch on to this smart, know-it-all, saves everybody's butts all the time character. And like, that's who I'm going to be when I grow up. And to like your point of, you know, she's this big intellectual powerhouse who at one point she just lets loose and punches Draco Malfoy in the face you know, when we started as a family um, training in MMA, I was like, nah, this still fits. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to find a Draco <laughs> Malfoy one day. And if I got to punch him in the face, I should know what I'm doing. Like this, this still fits the narrative. <laughs> um, and there was, there's even, I would go so far as I saw a, a while ago, I saw it was like this general personality test that was supposed to be for a fictional world. You know, you would pick three characters you want to be like your first choice your second choice and your third choice and the first choice is supposed to be like who you want people to see you as and the second is who people actually see you as and the third is who you really are and when I did it my third choice was Hermione Granger and I was like yeah (laughs) that's kind of that's what I set myself up (laughs) for yeah you know uh, Fiona I I get you 
Hermione. I, she was always the character I identified most closely with, too, because I was insufferable know it all. <laughs> I think you we're seeing a theme in this homework. And I always did my homework. <laughs> you know, there's this great, like, I was watching um, the first uh, Last Chapter movies just to get in the mood, and there's yeah. this great little exchange, like, right after in the cafe, after they survive the two death eaters going after him and like yeah. the one guy's you know sprawled across the cafe and the other guys behind the counter like totally petrified and like it's such old hat at that point that just like hermione's got it that like like oh yeah you're best at spells like you figure this out like what to do with this <laughs> that is such a great great. moment though it is such a great moment so many times you know it's just it's by by this time it's now wrote like yeah that's her yeah Yeah. (laughs) but that moment that really was interesting because you know she was casting the same spell she had recently cast on her parents yeah and and it was clearly painful for her Mm -hmm. you know she knew what she was doing i really dug that moment i thought yeah i thought that was uh that was good writing that's her though it's just like none of you ever study so i have to do all this crap myself you know <laughs> exactly once again hermione does the work you know <laughs> yeah but devil snare i mean it starts right and, and you can't sleep on the fact that and like i like i've said i read the books before the movies and then as they were coming out yeah. but the casting it's like so many things if you nail the casting mm. that's that's a huge part yeah. of it and they cast these three children to be these three lead characters and they they hit lightning three they times. Did. Yeah, they really did. And Absolutely. all three of them have yeah. the chops to be able to grow with these characters. There's this moment with Hermione that I absolutely love. It kind of speaks to that, Joe, and sort of speaks to this. It speaks to just like how these characters have grown up and how familiar they are with each other. Uh, but also Hermione being Hermione. And like, apart from her being the smartest person in the room and the person who does all the work in the room, like as you said, she is the one who will call things out. You know, and this moment where it's in, in Half-Foot Prince where they're all working through their romantic type stuff, right? Hermione's like, you know, all ticked off that, you know, Ron's, you know, snogging Lavender. And they're in the library and she's like, you know, and, and Harry's with her. And she's trying to fix up Harry with this girl across the library who's like looking at him. And he's like, oh, hey. She's like, hey, eyes over here. I'm talking to you. He's like, okay, right. And she goes, she goes no, don't get too worked up. She's only in you because she thinks you're the chosen one. And Harry goes, but I am the chosen one. And she, just, she goes, bat! And she's like, knock it off. I was like, okay, sorry. <laughs> it was just like, it was just so well done. You see this sort of thing in other stories, but there it really works. It's like, hey! It was like the funniest moment. It just cracks me up every time I see it because it's the it's the only time Harry ever like really lets himself slip. Like, yeah, I know what they've been saying about me. <laughs> and she's like, nope, not even once. Pow! <laughs> I'm like, God bless Hermione Granger. Defend her at all costs. She's so awesome. She's the so, jam. She really is. She really is. So moving on, I think, Chris, let's talk about your moment of truth. I mean, this series is replete with other great characters who have really major roles to play in, in the whole thing. And, and and I know you like to talk about one of those, and that kind of brings you to your moment. So why don't you take us away with yours? Well, Bill, you know, in our podcast sort of original mission statement, we wanted to talk about the moment where we knew we loved something. And, yeah. you know, for me, that is honestly... I mean, now I came to these through the books first, right? So it, it was when the snack trolley came on the train to Hogwarts, okay? Like, that's the moment I'm yeah. in love. Um, <laughs> yeah. I knew. It's but when that it, chocolate frog jumps out the window and goes, <laughs> 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 <It's> gone. <laughs> it cracks me up. 
great, great innovation for the film. That was lovely. <laughs> but I identified most with Hermione, like I said, but the character that snagged me the most was Sirius Black. Prisoner of Azkaban is definitely my favorite of the books. Goblet of Fire might be better, maybe, but I just love the way that Prisoner of Azkaban took things into a, a dark direction that was flippable. You know, yeah. like your understanding of everything changes. And I, I really dug that. It was, it was great plotting and I thought a really brilliant book. Harry, you know, of course, is the boy who lived, an orphan whose every connection was taken from him. His mom has gone. His dad is gone. Only his his aunt's family will take responsibility for them, and, and they they don't do much of a job of it. That's putting it mildly, man. <laughs> and, and when Sirius appears, it's it's such a big deal for him. He knew Harry's parents more intimately than anybody else did. Sirius is like having a piece of his parents back. At the end of this is in the film. I didn't check the text, but in the film, at the end of Prisoner of Azkaban, Sirius says to Harry, the ones who love us never really leave us. And you can always find them in here. You know, as he taps Harry on the chest. This is the first such person, though, that's willing to take responsibility for Harry, you know, in a parental sense, who yeah. is still around. Harry latches onto it so hard and I, I don't know that that relationship to me really is a big part of the heart of this whole series because you know well you know we've all read this series we know it's doomed but but Harry held on to it so 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 hard that at the end of Order of Phoenix when when Sirius dies it hits like a ton of bricks no it's terrible um, uh, it, it's awful <laughs> it's so awful now molly weasley accuses sirius of of trying to make harry into james and well i'm interested in your opinions of whether or not it's fair i'll point out that sirius is generally in favor of treating harry as an adult in terms of you know knowledge what he can know and the decisions he can make and to me that that speaks of his respect for harry you know as far as molly and some of the other adults were concerned that did not seem to be the case. Molly thought that Sirius was trying to make Harry into a second James. I, I wonder if she's not just jealous, you know, in the same film, you know, she says that she's practically his mother. Yeah. And, and she's trying to protect him. Yeah. Yeah. She's trying to protect yeah, him. Yeah. 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 She's looking to protect him. I don't think it was, I, I never got jealousy vibe, but just that she loves him too. Your jealousy is, is maybe a little much, but just before the but just before Sirius dies in the film, he calls out to Harry, "Nice one, James." That does not happen in the books, and and so I reject it. That that mm. that bugs me, you know. Like yeah. that that's not who James is. We've all been there where Dad says, "No, no, no, you can borrow the car and go to." Mom says, "No, you can't." I mean, like sure. Mom tries to protect yeah. you, and Dad tries to like um, enable play off you the line a little bit. Yeah, right. Well. I, and again, it doesn't make one right and one wrong. It just it, means it's a dynamic. It's a dialectic. Push pull to parenting. Yeah. I mean, we know that Harry is a serial father figure searcher, right? I mean, he went from Hagrid to Dumbledore yes. to Lupin to Mad Eye, Moody, yeah. to, to yeah. all, all of it, and and he's just he's desperately looking for anybody who will mentor him. Yeah. 
give him that that father yeah. experience and he, he actually gets lucky he gets a lot of yeah work. in in that book he's particularly vulnerable because dumbledore's distancing himself right so yeah. and maybe dude remember that he gave you a magic mirror expressly to contact him so that you don't have to walk in and help <laughs> yeah. him like invite him into traps at the ministry like so the big question maybe that would the help. big question i have regarding seriousness and especially on it and on his exit which is so abrupt and without warning like oh my god i can't we, we just lost serious um fiona i'm dying to want to know since you were you blasted through all these books kind of at once and you're pretty young how did how did the the death of Sirius hit you as a reader that was like one of the moments in the books i remember crystal clear like where i was what i was doing and how it made me mm -hmm. feel just because it like like everybody else has been saying it hit me like a ton of bricks it was five in the morning in our living room um on like a saturday did not morning know this. <laughs> i couldn't sleep because i had been reading it the night before and then i put down the book in the middle of the battle in the ministry and i woke up at like 4 30 and i was like i need answers before i can actually get a good night's sleep and and then i got to that point in the book and i was like you know maybe i don't want answers anymore <laughs> <laughs> I don't and, like these answers. Yeah, I literally I put it down. Like Joey on Friends and put it in the freezer. <laughs> I, like, I put it down and I was just crying on the couch. And I think I woke mom up because she came out and she was like, "What's wrong?" And I was like, "Serious black said." She was like, "We all know this. Like, this is known information. Catch up." <laughs> oh man, so it made me feel bad for Harry because that's like kind of what everybody else has been saying. He was he was constantly looking for a father figure, yeah. and I think also from Sirius's point of view too. They were both using the other one as a replacement for James. Possibly, yeah. And like hair, like Sirius basically had his best friend die, and then went into prison for twelve years, and came back out to find his his best friend's son, who looks exactly like him. Yeah, except for the eyes. Except yeah. for the eyes. Um, and they <sighs> they both like I think in that one moment they both lost each other, even even yeah. though Sirius was the only one to ever yeah. leave. There's a moment in. The Order of the Phoenix near the end at, at, at 12 Grimald Place where Sirius is explaining to Harry how he had separated himself from his own family. You know, he's like, oh, these guys were just racists, you know, essentially. Mm -hmm. uh, and they had in return cut him off. His his own mother had blasted the name off the, the family tree, which is painted on the wall in the in the movies. And I think it's a tapestry in the books. Yeah. And I, I really feel like that knowledge, that, that understanding gave Harry a, a more mature understanding than we might expect of Sirius because he has to relate to that. You know, this guy also lost, he has nobody else, you know, except me. Like yeah, that, that reciprocality, that, that, that symmetry really is, is powerful. Then their, their connection is, you know, special and irreplaceable. Yeah. And sadly we know where it's going. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think it thoughts? made it just he compounded it that he was just like he was like the cool uncle man like yeah, <laughs> it <was> like, <laughs> yeah. if in 1975 you found out you had a young uncle at a Trans Am like that's serious right there man you're like yeah. Sirius actually does remind me of two of my uncles <laughs> he's <laughs> yeah. a flying motorcycle yeah yeah he's like the coolest I, I, guy it's very deliberate right? but like you yeah. know it was on top of that you know on top of all the you know Harry had this like one connection back to his past and there yeah. it goes like yeah. there was that and then he was the cool guy and like I just wanted to see so much more of his character yeah it was just such a letdown. <laughs> I'll tell you what really underscores that for me. There's just this little detail in the movies. Um, and we were saying before we started recording, you know, once again, they struck lightning a fourth time. And, and this more than that, but Gary Oldman 
as as Sirius Black was just so perfect. He was so good. He, he's, he's so perfect good. in everything. He's he perfect does. in everything. He's so good. But <laughs> but they're having that great battle in the ministry, right? Like our hero, young heroes have done the best they can. They're overmatched. There's you know Lucius Malfoy sneering over them with all these all these Death Eaters floating around, and all of a sudden here comes the cavalry, right? And it's like you know look out, <laughs> and it's like Sirius shows up, and the, you know the other one starts to show up, and they just start just you know clearing out wood, right? They're just like here we go. And it gets to the point where, you know, he's fighting with Lucius, and it's like, no, spell fire, pop, pop, pop. And Lucius disarms him. If you've seen the movie, he does this weird little, like, corkscrew, like, ha, 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 and just, like, flip, like, this little thing, and boom, disarms Lucius. And it's just the coolest move. It's like he's a fencer <laughs> with magic. Like, oh, my God, Sirius is so cool. And that's when Bellatrix, like, kapow. And like, <gasps> thrust, parry. Ha ha, turn, spin, ha, thrust. You know, but... um. He's so badass at that moment that we get that we lose him in the movies, and you're like, it's just so, it's such a serious thing, like you know, it's like it hurt so bad, Bill. I, it hurt so bad. It really did. It was one of the one of the things that you know this this series inspired any number of uh, pretenders and wannabe other book series and movies that tried to yeah. catch that same and continues to like they're still coming yeah, out. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, it pretty much like restarted the young adult publishing industry. To be honest, right? And but where this series succeeded, and and it's so difficult to do, that Rowling was really good at writing eleven-year-olds, but she was also good at them becoming thirteen, and then fifteen, and then seventeen. Yeah. That these characters grew in the telling in a way that sometimes you know you write a, a successful character and then you you encase them in amber and they don't change yeah. yep they they don't they don't grow or change or lose or make bad decisions like they are who they are and now i'm going to write this book a hundred more times once a yeah. year the diary of a wimpy kid is going to go on forever mm-hmm. whatever it is and the, and the characters are never going to change you know as you get into um order of the phoenix the struggle to not be children anymore is so paramount in that yeah. book the struggle by the adults to try to protect these children from what's coming because they are still children, I'm sorry, but 16, 17 is, is still children. Um, and adults have a responsibility to continue Not in the to, wizarding to world. <laughs> well, 17 is the age of yeah. 17 yeah. is the yeah. age of majority. That's when you get to, you know, I guess vote for me. And, and you lose your, tra- your tracer. You lose your tracer, yeah. And you can start yeah, casting exactly. magic whenever you want. One of the scenes in, in um, Order of the Phoenix with Sirius that I love is his argument with Snape when... Snape is saying like, well, you know, some of us are out there risking our lives and not hiding in mommy's basement, essentially. Yeah. And it, it is so cutting to Sirius because Sirius, he wants to be out there fighting and risking himself, but he's been told to hide. Yeah. Like Harry a has. Long time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they, they bond over that. And, you know, Snape has, can't help it. These old schoolboy grudges mm-hmm. are still there. And what I love a lot is that Harry had mm-hmm. started to come around to respect Snape a little bit, but that destroyed it. Like he was like, it's Snape's fault that he needled Sirius yeah. to where Sirius felt he needed to go to the ministry. And, and it's, he blames Snape for Sirius's death yeah. because it's more convenient than blaming himself for forgetting the magic mirror in his, in his trunk. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Chris, any more thoughts on, the, on, on, on Sirius in this moment before we move on? Uh, no, only that Gary Oldman is magnificent in the role. Just, <laughs> I, 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 I can't say he really enough. That I, he has such charisma in that role and yeah. and like even like his costuming is brilliant oh it's so great yeah and his, his hair so cool. like he just, he just looks so cool yeah he's so great <laughs> he, he, he was the, his his costuming it 
it was a perfect mix of you know modern style but done up wizard wizard yeah. kind of style as well it was like uh, just... i want to dress that way honestly y- yeah no you would... go for it no, no it's it. a, you know what it's a good luck you know alan rickman as, oh, as summer snape you know uh, i mean emma thompson uh kenneth Branagh. i mean just the, yeah. the hitters that they got to come in and do these films albert, albert finney coming in to take over for richard harris's dumbledore masterstroke yeah. Uh, no, Michael Gambon. So, I'm yeah. sorry, you're right, Michael Gambon. You're right, Michael um, Gambon. My by apologies. the way, Richard Harris, who I, is still my Dumbledore. Gambon, I appreciate he took it in a different direction, but like Harris's Dumbledore, I, 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 I mean, you got old Cromwell for that. So. I agree. <laughs> I agree. I do. I Gambon, Gambon did a good job, but yeah, Richard Harris. So I'm going to move on to my moment of truth real quick, which is in the Half Blood Prince, and it kind of dovetails actually off of what Joe was saying about how. Rowling was able to write these kids as they were as they were growing up, and really, mine is kind of a bookend moment because one of my favorite things I enjoyed about Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, especially the movie, is that real early on you start getting the the beginnings of romantic tension between these young characters. Right when we first meet Ginny Weasley, they're like, "Oh, hey, Ginny!" is like, "Like this is Ginny. She's been talking about Harry all summer, and she's got this great look, like, <laughs> and has to get out of the room," which is the classic. I'm an 11 year old girl called out on my crush. I'm going to die. I need to move, right? And and that was done so well. And like, oh boy, okay, she's caught feelings for Harry. Even and Harry, I, and I so appreciate Harry's like just goes right by him. He's like, I don't get it. Like he <laughs> he just misses it entirely. No, but we know that the Harry Ginny thing is going to happen in time, right? And then at the we end hope, of the movie, anyway. Well, you, you hope. And but then at the end of the movie, there's a point where Hermione runs and and hugs Ron. And I'll never forget watching that in the theater. And, and it happens, and all these adults in the theater went, uh-oh. <laughs> like, 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 I know what that is. And we're like, uh-huh, yeah, I know what that is, too. And, and, and you know, and they break away. And they don't really come back to it for a couple movies, right? But by the time we get to, you know, there's a point in Half-Blood Prince where Ron is, has triumphed. He's finally triumphed as Keeper in a Quidditch game. Lavender Brown is just like, what a man. She just starts, you know, sucking his face like, you know, like Brown do for yeah, you. Yeah, just, yeah, just, just, she just goes after him. Um, and, 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 oh, and that's and, awful. Joe, how awful. You me use that joke? I'm Go sorry. stand in the corner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 10 points from Slytherin on that one. <laughs> you know, you know Ron's like, wow, she's all over me. And Hermione's really hurt by it, right? Hermione finally realizes, you know, and th- these two have kind of had their, their near misses over time. And, and she's, just, it really hurts her. And she's crying. She's leaning on, on, Harry's shoulder. She's looking for you know for comfort, and, and and it's like you know at that point his relation Harry's relationship with Ginny is really starting to, to flourish. I just love that the the story paused to to kind of get into the fact these kids are discovering love and they're discovering these relationships that are going to become meaningful and lasting. And for me, it's it's just a, it's just a great moment for a couple reasons. One is it's earned. Like these, this was set up like four chapters ago, right? And, oh yeah. And it was a, a an investment in long form storytelling that they had the courage to do, and it worked out. And these kids literally grew up into these roles, right? We got to see them grow older in front of us, and so when it happens, it feels right. You, you kind of buy it. But the other thing I really liked about it is that it's so bittersweet because this is at the point where after this whole thing, that's when the plot to kill Dumbledore (spoilers) really kicks in in earnest. And from then on, even though we know Voldemort's back and we know the world is in peril, and we know that the shadow of evil is creeping across the wizarding world, that's when things are really getting into like open warfare. And it's going to be, you know, childhood is over. 
And you just you kind of weep for the fact that these kids deserve a young adulthood that's full of hope and optimism and all that kind of great energy. And you know they're not going to get it. And and you kind of think about how many times this has happened in in, li- in life, right? When you know entire generations that you know who are growing up on the eve of war or on the eve of great catastrophe, and they have that youth stripped from them. It, it's a true thing, you know. And and I I really love that they had that there, and it kind of underscores everything they're going to go through it hurts twice as much because you know what their lives could be if they didn't have to endure it. And I thought that was a really courageous choice of Rowling to put that in. And it made us really fear for our characters because we knew they had something to lose and we knew that there's something we loved them for. So that, that that's, and it's, I don't think it's a moment that gets called out a whole lot as like somebody's big thing, but I just, as I get older and I think of the story in meta terms, like that sticks with me more and more and more, I guess. One of my favorite moments in the entire series I don't mean to treat this lightheartedly, but it's it's at the begin or near the beginning of uh, the eighth movie when Jenny asks Harry to, to zip her up, and you know, like there, Jenny's sister Bill is getting married to Fleur Delacour. It's it's a big deal, and she's like, you know, maybe it, it just seems all silly to have a, a wedding at this moment. And he's like, Harry says, well, maybe that's why it's good to have it, and they kiss, and and then. In the background, George George Weasley comes in, and he looks and he's sort of like he sort of he makes himself small, but he goes over to the sink, pours himself a cup of tea or or whatever, and uh, makes himself known. And then he leaves, and and he just stares Harry out of the room in 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 the best possible way. Like, yeah. it, it's such a it's such a fantastic moment because it's not yeah. like like threatening big brother moment it's yeah. it's more like parental he's like yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know i can't let this happen in front and, of me without saying something <laughs> you know? and and yet you know you know he's yeah. rooting for harry oh yeah absolutely it, it's oh, yeah. such a lovely moment I love it, it. some yeah. of these some of these small moments that uh to bill you know you talk about these teen romances and stuff like that that can be handled sometimes lesser directors lesser creators would make a meal out of some of these moments but they're just small beats in in goblet of fire one of the things that makes me laugh hardest in 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 all of the series at the yule ball at the end of it you know hermione is sitting on the steps and ron has ruined everything right he's like you ruined everything and she's sitting there and she's angry sort of behind her there's like this music playing and there's a girl just weeping openly on the steps some distance away it's like it's like the end of every high school dance you've ever had there's, some girl there's always the some girl on the there's steps. always some girl weeping <laughs> on the stairs absolutely <laughs> You know, it's great. And I'm very sorry. It was great that that, that scene is that Hermione shows up and she's just a vision, right? I mean, she, she's she's just oh, so, she's so beautiful. And and Ron looks up, looks up and he's like, I really f***ed uh, up. Yeah. <laughs> he, 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 he practically starts drooling. I mean, yeah, I mean if this were an anime, blood uh, would shoot out of his nose, right? Like, yeah. he's like, holy, what have, I, what have I done? There's a moment in the beginning of Deathly Hallows Part 1 that they it didn't get put in the final cut, um, but it was a, it was a scene at the wedding when Hermione comes out and she's in her red dress and everything. And I think in the actual movie, we just get a shot of Ron like staring at her. Um, but one of the shots that they took was um, Victor Crumb was at the wedding uh-huh. and Victor Crumb comes up to Hermione Granger and is like, long time no see, do you want to dance? And Ron's like having room. deja vu. And he's like, oh no, 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 not again. And so he comes, he comes right up and he like basically shoves Victor Crumb out of the way. And he's like, dance later. <laughs> like, no. like he's learned he has learned from his mistakes and he asks Hermione to dance with oh, Thor like 
before Victor Crumb can get the chance to take her from him. And I'm, I'm so (laughs) upset that that didn't get put in the movie because I feel like that's such a, that's such a big like growth moment for the two of them. Yeah, yeah, and for Ron in particular. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, you know what? It's like there's that person who really, really matters to you. Ultimately, they're not just going to fall into your lap. You have to, you have to make yourself known, and you have to show that you care and and, and get involved. And and yeah, and for Ron, for Ron Anderson, and that's so great because he was so like fanboying over him and gobbled a fire. It's like to push your hero aside, like yo man, step off. <laughs> it's like that's that's. But but we have to give Ron credit. He does ask Fleur to the Yule Ball. He gins up the courage to go and do it. You can you don't understand the kind of no doubt that, you know, that was brass. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean that's that's the brass brass bludgers that it takes to, to make that kind of move. Brass bludgers. Slytherin's got ten points back. That's well done. Out of your league by like you're talking a, a single A guy asking out a Hall of Famer. Yeah. <laughs> That's, that's really he comes back he's like catatonic yeah, that's, really that's clear danes yo <laughs> yeah, yeah right seriously so, since i was mentioning half both parents we mentioned before i think it would just be worthwhile to spend just a minute or two talking about severus snape just because mm-hmm. he's a character everybody's got very strong feelings for he's a character who only gets better as the series moves on perhaps one of the greatest heel turns in modern fiction and a lot of people take different things away from it so just kind of like a quick thunder round i'd love for everybody to kind of talk about what do they love most about about snape and uh, fiona i'd love to start with you because i know you've given considerable thought on your feelings about snape (laughs) so i think in the broad view of things he's a really interesting character in his complexities of you know is he is he the bad guy is he the good guy Where is he sometimes the bad guy and the good guy at the same time? I think on the grander scheme, I'm not his biggest fan just because I think he he can hold a grudge um, basically from when they were teenagers. Mm -hmm. Um, And transfer it to the the recipient's child. (laughs) Yeah, to somebody else's (laughs) child and like, and become another child's biggest fear and nightmare. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's just interesting to see his, I guess I'm going to say growth from having been a death eater and then having turned to being a spy and then doing his job a little too well and turning everybody else against him. I think like, especially in the Deathly Hallows while you're reading it as a viewer and like, you don't, you're kind of, you're in Harry's head. So you have no idea where he stands. Sure. Um, and then like that moment at the end, when you find out the truth and you, you get, You've had little like snapshots of who Severus Snape is, and you've only been really seeing Harry's version of what he looks like. And then you finally, all at once, you get the entire picture. Yeah. And it's, I think that moment in particular, seeing all of his memories, seeing everything come together is, I think that's what makes him the interesting character that he is, at least for me. Yeah. Uh, Chris, your thoughts on Severus? It's hard to divorce Severus Snape from Alan Rickman. The, the late great Alan Rickman, of course. Yes, much. Was, I, I think it's one of the most brilliant character portrayals in cinematic history. I, I, you know, over eight movies, he crushed it. I mean, you know, more than any other actor in the series. Yeah, I, I, apparently Rickman really yeah. took Radcliffe under his wing as like a mentor as well. That's, that's awesome to know. I, 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 the, he really he elevated this film series. Yeah. With in my mind, I, I I don't I don't think it would have been the same without him. As far as Snape goes, good God, 
I admire so much the way that Rowling dragged me. Like, <laughs> like she made me hate him. She made me afraid of him. She made me like him. She made me hate him again. And then she pulls away the curtain. And like Fiona said, holy smokes. You know, yeah. we, 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 always, we had hints of it or in the order of the Phoenix when Harry, Harry's trying to learn occlumency and he sees his father's actions towards Snape mm-hmm. or Snape's memory of them. That's a really powerful moment, isn't it? I mean, yeah, it is. it's not really necessarily about Snape. It's about Harry and, and his changing perception of, of, of his father and what good looks like. Yeah. Snape, Snape is the most important character in the books and yeah brilliant tom your thoughts i I just thought it was so masterful like i said i I found it very difficult to to disagree with my cousin when he said that he thought that snape was like one of the best characters ever written he just becomes this just unbelievably tragic and, and awesome character like when you finally get that reveal that like everything he's really done has been out of love like I, I found myself like Chris, you know, just being torn back and forth, being th- like, do I like the guy? Do I hate the guy? Do I think he's redeemable? And I kept mm-hmm. thinking along the way, like, if he is a good guy, Dumbledore, you know, because Dumbledore trusts him. Like, if he yeah. is a good guy, like, how is Rowling going to redeem this character? And she just did it so well that, like, I'm, I'm just forever in admiration of how she wrote him and, and, and love that about, like, how I, I just it's like Chris said, I was like, I was here, I was there on the guy and just, you were never really sure what, what to think of Severus Snape until you got to see, you know, you got the deep dive into his character and it's like, yeah. all was revealed. Yeah. Everybody's had that teacher that just struck fear into their heart. Right. So, so you immediately relate to, to who that character really is with Snape, right? Everybody's had a Snape in their yeah. life. <laughs> but yeah, like for me, by the time, we're getting to Deathly Hallows. He has matured so much as a character. Not mature, but I mean, like, Rowling has developed him as a character so much. We've seen all these different sides of him. Like, I've seen enough spy stories to know that the inside guy never makes it out alive, right? Like, like the mole yeah. the mole never survives. And I'm like, Snape is not going to make it to the end credit to this one. I know it. And reading Deathly Hallows was hard for a number of reasons, not the least of which was the longer I got into the book, the, the more I was like, Oh no, my my! I'm gonna have to say goodbye to Snape any moment now, and I'm not looking forward to it. And it was it was hard. Like his his farewell, it hit me with the same intensity, but from a different place and with a, and a different angle than um that that Sirius's uh, death hit me, and and said or Dumbledore's as well, or, or Dumbledore's. Like all these major death scenes, and the, you know they all land with equal intensity and 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 from a very different emotional place. And Snape was like, oh man, like he just. You just weep for what could have been, and like this guy, he just he carried so much weight that he didn't have to carry, and he chose to carry. And there's just this, he's you know he's Slytherin, and he's he's a good example of how like not all Slytherins are evil, not all Gryffindors are brave, not all Ravenclaws are clever. I, I'm like you know, there's that pigeonholing, but you know we we kind of trade on the exceptions to those rules. And Snape is so in his way so valiant, and he's so true. And he's so he's so heroic, and it's not in the conventional ways we expect to see, mm-hmm. you know. And I think I, that's I feel, important yeah. to see that. I feel like that that's sort of the the point of Snape that you know he undercuts that whole sorty hat archetypal bullshit. You know, yeah. they're, they're archetypes. They're they're just tools for you to have categories of understanding. No person is ever that simple. Yeah. Least of all Severus Snape. 
yeah we'll, we'll be we'll be clear that i mean snape had an abiding passion for the dark arts which is probably what, what wound his butt up in slytherin um and, and, I, and I'll, I'll stipulate tragic figure absolutely uh, amazingly complex figure absolutely I don't buy some of the um, the rehab of the the Lily and Snape shippers, which to me is more creepy than romantic. It's that like I get yeah. it, right? You cared towards for her, dude. She married somebody else like 15 years ago. <laughs> I'm seeing Fiona non enthusiastically. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna have to figure out something else to do with your life. And I'm sorry, but if you loved her that much, why do you treat her son like yeah, that? Right. You don't need to treat him like that in order to perpetuate the fiction, especially once we think Voldemort is gone. He meets Harry and immediately treats him like dirt and is, is mean to the outright just mean. He looks yeah. like his dad. Though. I mean, yeah. If you loved her, you are going to um, find ways to help that yeah. kid. Now, obviously, the, the meta narrative is that he is helping and he's protecting him, and there's all this other stuff going on. And I get it at the end when he says always, I get it. It's great. It's memeable. Like, let's make t-shirts. But I, I just, I think that Snape has a lot of uh, stains on his, on mm -hmm. his record. When we talk about like an, like an Anakin, right? Like you did a lot of bad, the good, it's like, you're going to have to, yeah. to do a lot of good to wipe that out. And very complex character. I, I, I see the, the amount of courage that you have to be, to be inside that double agent for that mm -hmm. long. Like that's, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. I don't necessarily see him as a uh, admirable character. He does have a lot of ink on his ledger, and he's got a lot to make up for, and I think that's what makes him so interesting and makes him yeah. very complicated and very complex. So moving on to our next uh, moment of truth, Fiona, I'd like you to talk about what yours is, because yours actually gets to, for a lot of us, it gets to kind of the heart of one of the highest points of the story, of the entire arc. When you called it out, uh, I was really excited to hear about it. So, so why don't you walk us through your moment of truth and what it means to you? I think in the grand story of the entire seven book series, I think the biggest moment of truth or just pivotal moment is the death of Cedric Diggory and everything that it represents with the beginning of the war. I think like the definitive end to the childlike wonder that is the atmosphere of Hogwarts, like all of that innocence stops and it, the whole series takes a very sudden 180 degree turn into the darkness and reality of the war that will be going on for the rest of the series and while I think that is really really crucial I think the thing that has struck with me I think more so is the aftermath of the death of Cedric Diggory and I think when when everything has kind of calmed down again after Dumbledore has said his kind words about what a fierce friend he was and everybody, you know, kind of goes off on that high note of, you know, the bonds of friendship that we have now are going to be more important than ever. And they all start to say goodbye to each other from the different schools. There's a moment when um, Harry and Ron and Hermione go off to the side and Hermione's really sad and she's scared. And she looks at the two of them and she's like, everything is going to change now, isn't it? And Harry just kind of, he walks over to her and he like puts his arm in his shoulder and everything looks like he's about to comfort her. And he's like, yeah, yeah, everything is going to be different and bad now. And I never really clung to that moment um, until about a year ago when I had just come home from school for spring break and the word pandemic started to come into everybody's vocabulary. And, um, and I, I turned to my comfort movie, which is Goblet of Fire. And I got reached this point and, you know, Hermione's like, everything's going to change. And everybody was saying goodbye. And Harry's like, yeah, 
everything's going to change. And I just started sobbing. And I was like, this, I wanted to be in this story, but not like this. Like, <laughs> um, and then you yeah. even have the similarities so far as the next movie picks up with the entire government's denial of what's happening, the inevitability of what is happening. And the, mm. the blaming of a very select few who then have to carry that burden of being the very few who are right. Yeah. God, the wait between Goblet and Order was the longest for a book. <laughs> right? Imagine. To come out, like, I just was like, I have to know what happened. I have to know. Because the end of Goblet is so stirring. Like, the, the whole framework of Goblet is brilliantly done. The whole Triwizard mm. Tournament and everything. I think it's really inspired. And I don't actually inspired prose isn't usually Rowling's thing like she's a great storyteller and a great world builder prose is fairly pedestrian she's, she's tom clancy uh, with a heart well that's what i'm saying yeah. is like the, 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 <laughs> i'll go for prose that is sure. not this, it's serviceable yeah, prose. Yeah, yeah. uh her dialogue is better than george lucas from my uh, you know but <laughs> this is one of my role models you're talking about here joe <laughs> <laughs> Who, Tom Clancy? Oh, not Tom. <laughs> 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 so, Dude, have you met Tom? Rising once. Everybody <laughs> thinks you're a Tom Clancy fan. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but go I, ahead, John. But I wanted to, at the end of that movie, to me, the moment that strikes me is when he's holding on to Diggory's body when they come back from the graveyard and he won't let the yeah. body. Oh, my God. He won't. And in the book, they really make a meal yeah. of it in a really beautiful way that. He will not let the body go. And finally, they'd have to like tear the body away from him. And it's so heart-wrenching. It's been fun and games. There's been danger, but it's been cartoonish danger and all this other stories up. This is when there's going to be a body count. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that, everything is going to change. It's taken till now. Basically, like this had to happen in order for people to take that threat seriously. That weight hit me at that moment as well. And I was just like, oh, geez, like how bad. And, like, and the actor, too, is doing a terrific job of, of you know, and I'm like, awesome. all this has to come down to this like one moment, you know, like now everybody understands that it's all getting yeah. real from here on out. Yeah. yeah. The, the two parts of that that really that always, always chill me when I see it again, one is how quickly they kill him. They're like, kill him, right, boom. Like, there's no there's no monologue, there's no buildup, there's no tension. It's just, it's, before you even know what happens, it's done. And you're like, whoa, they just killed this kid. I mean, it was so sudden. And I remember in the book, it's, it's sudden in the book as well. I remember I just sat there staring at the page. I'm like, well, wait, well, wait a minute, hold it, hold it, hold it. And I reread it. I'm like, no, they killed him. I'm like, <gasps> you know, and I, I just couldn't get over it. But in the movie, they, they, they fall, when you talk about how he comes back, he's holding the body. There's great detail that really haunts me, which is that, you know, there's that goofy, almost Monty Python-esque theme the band plays for the Triwizard Tournament that dun, 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 you know, and goes on. And it's and they start playing again when Harry comes back, like, hits the music, hit it. And like dun, dun, and it's going and he's and and it's as the music slowly peels away and they stop playing one by one, and they realize, wait, what's going on here? And, and it's that that weird like sound of a of a brass band falling apart, you know? And, and it's the it's the sound of innocence dying. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the sound. Is it? And the father. It, it's, it's the father. Come yeah, it's like my yeah. boy. It's just I mean, so hard. It's just it's so hard. Oh it's God. so hard. Yeah. It's so hard. And that's we're all something. dads feeling them. Yeah. <laughs> so much. So much. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. Um, there's even there's a moment in Order of the Phoenix when they're doing Dumbledore's army type classes and Cho Chang starts talking to Harry and you know she has her moment she's like did Cedric know any of this 
And Harry's like, yeah, that's that's the it's worst so part is he he knew everything. He did everything right. And he still was just yeah. moved right out of the way without even a second thought, without even a chance to do anything. Yeah. Part of what makes that scene so impactful is like, I imagine like the same exact thing could have happened to Harry. They, they could have just done the exact same thing to Harry Potter, but Voldemort had such like an ego about him that like he needed to draw it out. He needed to have this big grand finale fight. Sure. And that's that's why he wasn't successful. But like, like could anybody have gotten out of that? And like- yeah. Typical super yeah. monologuing. <laughs> yeah, you know, had the situation been like, Harry managed to have Ron come with him, Ron would have been killed just as quickly, yeah. right? I, I'm like, like the other person who was there, that was like ultimate wrong place, wrong time situation. But- but, you know, I'm super course, glad it was Robert Pattinson. Kill the spare, <laughs> yeah, is what he said. Yeah, 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 yeah. Kill the spare. It's like, oh, it's just so harsh. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's just so hard. But it's also, I mean, it's a great way to establish that Voldemort is a no kidding around kind of villain. I mean, we see him a couple times, like nibbling at the edges, like, well, how, how, how bad is he really? <laughs> well, let us show you. <laughs> like, oh my god. So yeah, but but yeah, yeah, that that's for me. That's when the series goes from like really awesome to just like like legendary kind of going way back to the beginning of our conversation with the this is a children's book you know i like to sometimes make the argument to people i'm like well yeah it's written at a third grade level but like that is not third grade material just like the sudden death of a character that we had spent a whole book growing yeah. to love he's just like no he's he's not important anymore no seriously spiona that that's a that's a great point I, like the hobbit the hobbit has a higher death count than the lord of the rings for major characters mm -hmm. and that's the children's book yeah <laughs> yeah it does yeah yeah cedric the death of cedric diggory is the han going into cobra yeah. yeah of yeah of the series no question but, but i'm kind of curious fiona you say that goblet of fire is your is your comfort movie <laughs> knowing how it ends how is that one your comfort movie yeah i think awesome. well, okay i yeah. think for me <laughs> it's it also awesome. i think the entire movie leading up to right before they go into into the graveyard is I feel like that's almost the final triumph and like like big final fireworks finale for the childlikeness of the magical wizarding world that we've spent yeah. four books in. That's like because once once Diggory's killed, that's that is the start of the war. You know, whether people want to admit yeah. it or not, things have started. Declarations, you know, if this were government, declarations of war would have been signed with that death. Yeah. Um, the first shot. So I think everything leading up to it with, you know, you have the Triwizard Tournament, you have Ron and Harry fighting like 14 year old teenage boys and dragons and mermaids and, you know, all of these, all of these brand new wondrous creatures and events and everything and the Yule Ball. And it's all just this big showcasing of the magical world. And it, I think all of that new material kind of expands it again, right before everything gets closed and shut and shattered and it, it adds a new a new layer of of depth and reality yeah. to it you know in, in the tolkien sense you know like that that's it, that book really i thought was the one that made the wizarding world who you know really explode into mm -hmm. life more than anything previously I, I find it troubling to find you saying like, how can this be your favorite? This could be how can this be your comfort movie when you know it ends this way when you love empire strikes back as much as i know you do 
<laughs> all right, you got me. You're f- all right. That's that's fair. <laughs> that's fair. You know, and a great a great story arc needs that super. You need that that real low point right in the middle, mm-hmm. right? And and this delivers on that final point. It's like, oh wait a minute, when you realize how how deep in it you are. And and frankly, Fiona, I love the fact that few Harry Potter movies are on an always watch basis. So it's like at any given time, I could just I could be going into the living room and there could be a Harry Potter movie running. I'm like, all right, you know what? It's the house band of House Coffin. It's okay. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm okay with it, man. Like it's always they're always up and running, and they never get old. They really never get old. So I'm so glad that you enjoy watching them. So, mm-hmm. look before we wrap up, a final thought. In 2020, J.K. Rowling kicked off a social media controversy with her comments about transgenderism, essentially saying that transgender women weren't really women at all. Her statements offended and hurt many people, and spurred no small number of folks to publicly refute her stance. She doubled down, so did her critics, and a new front opened up in the online culture wars. It was an archetypical 2020 moment that reminded us yet again that life can be as disappointing as it can be uplifting. For a lot of Harry Potter fans, especially those from the LGBTQ community, Rowling's comments raised a very tricky question. What does it mean that a world and a story that I love so much, and that means so much to me, was written by somebody who has hurt me and disappointed in me now with these comments? It's a point that we discussed at length in my household, but ultimately our consensus was that Rowling's comments, however misguided they may be, never seemed to present themselves in her work. It would be one thing if Rowling used Harry Potter to attack transgender people, but she didn't. And while her fictional work does have its regrettable aspects, this isn't one of them. Besides, if Rowling's anti-transgender views are a reason to abandon Harry Potter, well, isn't the support of the transgender community by Daniel Radcliffe, Emma Watson, and Rupert Grint a reason to continue to support Harry Potter? Ultimately, this is something that every fan must reckon with on their own. But as they do, I am reminded of one of my favorite moments from the movie adaptation of Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix uh, during a conversation between Harry and Sirius Black. And Harry says to Sirius, this connection between me and Voldemort, what if the reason for it is that I am becoming more like him. I just feel so angry all the time. What if after everything that I've been through, something's gone wrong inside me? What if I'm becoming bad? And Sirius looks at him and he says, I want you to listen to me very carefully, Harry. You're not a bad person. You're a very good person who bad things have happened to. Besides, the world isn't split into good people and death eaters. We've all got both light and dark inside us. What matters is the part we choose to act on. That's who we really are. This has been Moments of Truth. On behalf of myself, Tom, Chris, Joe, and Fiona, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. Moments of Truth is hosted by Bill Coffin, Chris Crenshaw, Tom Hespos, and Joe Pace. This podcast is edited by Derek Eisenhart. The Moments of Truth theme is a mashup of The Clermont by Flash Fluherty and a little help from a Texas Instruments Speak and Spell. For more Moments of Truth, be sure to subscribe to this show wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And for hundreds of additional write-ups of my favorite movies, please visit BillCoffin.com.